Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking scalable Angular architectures. Should be pretty cool as usual. So let's get into it. First, we'll say hi to our panelists and then we'll meet our guests. Joining us today, we have Alyssa Neichel. Alyssa, how's it going? Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. Awesome. We have Mike Brocky with us. Mike, what's going on? Not too much. Uh, happy to be here. Cool. And Bonnie Brennan. Bonnie, how's it going? It's going great. I feel like this is going to be a super fun episode already. I can just, I can just feel it. It is. It is. Don't we have a, a term for it? Awesome sauce. Yeah. Awesome That's what sauce. I was thinking as soon as I found out who our guest was today. I was very excited. Speaking of our guest, Juan Herrera. Juan, how's it going? Hey, everyone. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Awesome. We're, we're super excited to have you. Juan, why don't you uh, tell our viewers a little bit about yourself for those that don't know who you are? Sure. So my name is Juan Herrera. I am from Colombia, and I live in Medellin. Uh, I'm a Google developer expert in Angular, and I'm also the head of front-end development of a company called Uxi Global. So more like I'm an American company. I work for American clients, um, but I'm based here in Medellin. And I think that'll be it. I remember the first time I met you, I like I think we were at NGConf and we were talking about NG community meetup and you were like thinking about maybe starting a meetup and you had this like wild like neon hair. And now you're basically like a rock star in Medellin. Uh, uh, thanks to you, I mean. Thanks um, to you, I know how to say Medellin. <laughs> well, you did it pretty well. Um, th yeah, the truth is that like, I don't know, about two years ago, I met Bonnie at NGConf, and, and she convinced me of running a community in Medellin, which is called Angular Medellin. And, and today, it is a very big thing in Colombia. Actually, we made a conference, the first conference of Angular in the whole Latin America after we run the community. And well, it was super exciting. It's called Angie Colombia. We're going to have another edition this year. I might be able to show you some pictures later. Uh, but yes, thanks to Bonnie. Bonnie was the catalyzer of all these things. Actually, that would be you. You were the catalyzer, and I'm and I'm amazed at what you've done and how much you've grown your meetup. And and I'm honored to uh, to be your friend. I'm so excited. Thank you. It's a community efforts, right? Yeah, always for sure, for sure. All right, scalable Angular architectures. That's the topic for today. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so I, I'm going to need you to break that down. <laughs> that, that's like up here. I need it down here so that I can get a better feel of what we're diving into. Sure thing, sure thing. So um, it's very simple, actually. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed ever since I started like building Angular applications for enterprise or companies, I've noticed that there are certain patterns um, certain methodologies or techniques you can use to make sure your code base is maintainable and is scalable in time. Uh, that includes, for example, folder structure, uh, code patterns, way to create your classes, your functions, uh, the different strategies you can use when naming variables uh, or naming your, your own files, that kind of things. It's what we're going to talk about today. So if, if Justin, I guess I'm ready. If you want to share my screen, I can just start. 
All right. Yeah, we're set. All right. So let's just start over here. So this is scalable Angular architectures. So uh, this actually, is we can't like, see it though. <laughs> you cannot see it. You, which is always fine, but <laughs> we don't see your screen right now. Oh, really? Um, interesting. Let me. So you're sure not seeing my bra? Oh, okay, let me try. That. No, just just okay. faces. Oh, there it goes. There you go. Aha, we got it. Perfect. So um, as part of my introduction, I might I should uh, mention that I also created something called Angular Now, which is like a bookmark that you can use to run a Angular project hosted on GitHub on Staplix. Uh, it, it's pretty much doing anything in particular, anything special. It's just doing a URL redirect. But it turns out that when I publish this thing, it had a lot of traffic on Twitter. People were really interested in it. Um, and the curious thing about it is that it was just one line of code. So yeah, this is the ironic parts of life. But yeah, I wanted to share this with you in case you ever find it or want to use it. But so, I really, you have to get a lot of bonus points for that font. That Angular yeah. Now, that's, that's pretty slick. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I stole it from someone else, actually, but but yeah, thank you. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, let's really, jump. Just, yeah, really quick on that. So that if I have a repo that I want to launch on Stack Blitz, I use that for for that case. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So so you just you just put your bookmark on the on the browser, and once you have a repository with an Angular project in it, you can just click the bookmark. It's called a bookmarklet, and it will automatically you've run the, the repository on Staglix. Um, this is that simple. It's actually Staglix is the one doing all the work here, but I just came out with the idea of you know doing doing it easier for everyone. And Why does your it. browser look different? What is this browser? Because this is Chrome. Okay, okay. It looks so different than my Chrome and I like it. Anyways, continue. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, so let's just get right into the content. So first of all, I want to give you all a warning. And it's that some of the things I might mention here might not apply to you. And sometimes when it comes to standards, it might be your team, uh, the one that makes the final call. So what I'm going to give you today is a set of practices I recommend, but they're not necessarily mandatory. You can use your own set of standards if you want to. And let's start with the very base, and that is the problem, right? Like, what's the problem we're looking at right now? And I believe the problem is the complexity of applications. When you have an application, an Angular application with just one component and one module, everything is a breeze. It's easy. It will scale no matter what. But when you have a lot of features, a lot of um, you know architectural drivers, quality attributes, functional and non-functional requirements, it becomes more complex. So in order to tackle this down, uh, we're going to give you some of the practices, tips, methodologies I use to fix this. Uh, but I'm going to do it in a particular format. I'm going to use the interview format. Uh, the interview is pretty much uh, me asking Justin, Mike, Bonnie, and Ali, um, all, then uh, Alisa, uh, all the um, all the questions I'm going to make today, like like if it were a technical interview. And I expect you to answer um, so, so that it is more fun. Um, well, and by the way, before the, the, you can continue here, 
I want to preface to the audience, anybody who's watching, we have not been prepped for this at all. No, we have not. <laughs> and uh, what have you. So this is all off the cuff. And uh, sure, let it let it rip. <laughs> we're really nervous now. And we I didn't know we were going to have a quiz. I think that anything that Mike says in this podcast should be taken as pure truth. Um, so, you know, we can let him take point. On most things. <laughs> and we will be watching the chat for help from the audience. So if you oh, yeah. have really hard I questions, you guys have to help us out. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. You'll I'd like to fine. use the lifeline, please. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine. No worries. One of the things I always consider when making an interview is this mantra. It's like, trying to, or making sure the candidate feel comfortable at all times. I, I tend to interview a lot of people here in UXI, and my primary goal is to help them relax, try to teach them something new. Well, when I'm asking them something, I then they don't know the answer. I often give them the answer uh, and say like, okay, this is what you should consider next time. And maybe you should study these things because it will allow, it will make you a better fit for next time. That, that kind of thing. This is what I'm looking forward to. So no worries. You'll be all fine. I don't know, because I don't think that any of the four of us feel comfortable right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mike. Let's just start with you. Mike, how do I define a scalable architecture? If I were the interviewer and you were a candidate, how would you answer this question? Uh, I would first clarify and ask if you were talking about scalable horizontally or vertically, or what type of scaling are you talking about? Is it scaling to be able to support multiple team members, or is it scaling to support multiple aspects of the application, or what type of scaling are you looking for? Mike, let me tell you something. Um, you answered correctly. The answer is it depends. Very well. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm, I'm I'm done for the day. <laughs> We're so proud of you, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's the right answer. Um, it, it, and it's the best answer you can give in any interview question. Um, you, you have with me. It's like if I ask a very broad question, like, like the best answer is to say like, okay, what use case are you referring to? What particular scenario do you want to look at? And some of the scenarios we might be able to take a, uh, take a look at today are these ones. Uh, folder structure, modularization, co-pattern, state management, and of course, vertical and horizontal scaling. So, so that's, that was a great answer. And I think we're ready for the very second, answer, very second question, which is, let's say we want to make a folder structure scalable. How do we keep my folder structure scalable? Let's go with Justin. Justin, what do you say? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is having things grouped together that are similar um, so that that folder structure, the things that I've run into before in the past, I think in terms of uh, the need to restructure your folder structure throughout the life cycle of the process uh, of the project, as well as adding things to it. So keeping similar things close together, I think is advantageous for the ability to do that. So that's I my answer. I, I think that's the right answer as well. Very well, Justin. That's correct. I, I believe what you're just saying is that sometimes it is better to keep artifacts grouped in, in a folder where you can see all the functionality related together, which is because it makes more sense, even 
cognitively, like, like being able to open a folder and see every single artifact, be it a service, a class, a pipe that is related, and then understand how all those components relate to each other. I think that's a great answer. If, if I were to, to, to give you the next step to look at, maybe I would answer in an interview question with a popular pattern. One of those is called lift. Lift is pretty much uh, um, uh, a pattern. I guess it was John Papa or someone related that came up with this some time ago. And it's a pattern you can use to keep your folder structure scalable. And of course, in there, you're going to see this uh, recommendation you did. So you probably heard of lift before, but let's take a look at every single um, letter, like lift, L, locate. So locate is pretty simple. Uh, locate is how quickly can you locate files in a project? So, so pretty much related to what you just said, like how about if I show you this structure over here and I tell you, Justin, like, okay, um, it turns out that there is a bug in our footer in which folder would you search the bug? Well, like, like is it the bug visual or is it like functional? Well, like, <laughs> that's a great question, right? Of course. Like, okay, what's the bug related to? Is it visually? Is it related to services? Is it related to you know um, logic or anything? Well, that that's that's the kind of question you will be asking if you were assigned a bug. Now, is the structure? It would be much easier. To know where to search for, search for the bug, because then you will automatically know the bug is like ninety percent of the times uh, included in this folder, where where you have all the artifacts related to the footer, be it a component, a service, a pipe, or whatever. Then, if you have this, well, this this works pretty well when you have a, a small code base, like when things are simple, etc. But when things are scaling up. Uh, sometimes having a, a domain-driven or whatever you want to call it uh, structure is much easier to identify where where bugs or new features need to be implemented. So that's number one. That's locate. Um, then we have identify, uh, which is how quickly can you identify a file's purpose? So let's take a look at this other example. Here, for example, we have a header which is a folder that contains the header directive, the model, the pipe, the service. Um, so one of the things that once you look at this structure, you automatically can tell what every file's purpose is. You know that this one is probably for transforming something in the view. This one is probably to fetch some information in the header and so on and so forth. This this is a pretty, a pretty angular structure that you will see very common in any uh, angular code base. And it helps you identify what every file is for. So this is something I recommend you to keep doing. So quick question on this part. Would this be the smallest that you suggest breaking down um, components? Or would you ever be like, hey, the header has, I don't know, like these nav items, and we're going to break those down into their own folders as well, or is there, there a point where it gets too crazy? Uh, lovely. I, I love that question. That's actually the next item, uh, but you're right. Uh, that that The answer to that question is that depends. Uh, but let's take a look at the second part, uh, the third um, part of lift, which is the flat. The, how flat is your folder tree? And here's where uh, subsets or smaller components come into play. Let's take a look at this structure. 
well, I probably, you've probably seen this before, right? It's like super complex to look on folders, etc., etc. Um, when you have a header and you have a list and you have an item and a title and a description and you make a component out of each one of those, your folder structure is going to end up looking like this, which again is not very easy to read or probably easy to maintain. So you got to be very careful on how many nested levels does your folder have. So that, that's one thing to consider. Try not to make it very long, um, but don't oversimplify it either. That, that's pretty much. And that's the answer to your question, Elise. I love it. I love it. Can, yeah, cool. can I add one thing in here? Sure. Um, so I uh, one of the things that this kind of comes out of play from is right is is like the experience of going down this route right uh so for people that are coming into this that may be thinking okay how do i architect my application but i've never really gone that deep into getting something that crazy these are the things that you're kind of illustrating especially like the what we see on the screen right here something that we can get into fairly quickly if we go down the route of a certain pattern. Um, and then by that point, we're like, man, we get our file structure, we're all built out. It becomes a headache or a challenge to re-architect that. So as a beginner, we're, we're looking to say, what, can, what keys can we get to kind of get ahead of the game so that our structure is ready to go and, and grows with us so that we don't have to be making these wholesale changes later? Um, and, and who can tell us about that that's, that's run into that scenario? Um, so I just want to kind of clarify that for our audience and stuff like that, that, um, and this is a great example of what you're showing here. Like you can really get into the situation quick and then you're like, man, nested folders. Okay. So these are the things to think about ahead of time. Lovely. Yeah. Totally agree with you, Justin. I mean, I wish I had like all these tips and, you know, um, practices and patterns way before in time, because that way I would have built like better architectures. But yes, this is pretty much for people that are starting to build their architectures and they want to know how things would look in time. Well, this will give you an insight. And and it, it's worth clarifying that this is not necessarily bad. Of course it's not. Uh, it's just, it has an overhead to it. And you have to be conscious of it. You have to be aware that you will need to do some refactorings at some point if you don't handle this correctly. So just to bear in mind. So, I think we're good. Um, I don't know. Uh, this is, oh, I didn't, I include this in here. Uh, yes, it's because I saw some similar thing here. You, you can see this is structured. This is like a triangle here. I, I see this triangle also in the callback hill. Um, typical code base is, is pretty similar. Actually, this, this is also called the Pyramid of Doom, which is actually real. I took a picture of them. It's here. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I knew we were going to have fun today. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go for the last part of Lyft, which is, uh, no, I think we're already finished with Lyft. Uh, this is a, an additional tip I would like to share with you. It's also included in the Angular style guide, and it's keeping seven files per folder. Uh, according to a friend of mine, the human eye can only and see seven files at the same time and kind of relate them together. Know, know how they connect to each other in, in, in one look. But if you have more than seven files in a folder, you will need an additional effort kind of to understand how all those things relate together. Oh, so I love this so much. I love specifics like this. It always gives like a specific guideline 
and then there's a reason behind it. So I love that one. Totally, totally. Thank you. Yes, I, I think it's important. Uh, as long as we keep things easier for us as developers and maintainable for for the product, I think yes, we should follow these these guidelines. So yeah, this is my my final advice. And uh, finally, try dry, which is the last part of lift, uh, which is probably something you heard before. You hear it in with Sander in the last Angular Air, I believe. Uh, don't repeat yourself, right? The more you repeat yourself, the more um, bugs you probably need to fix, the more places you need to implement the same, lo same logic, and so on and so forth. And try not to do that. And one strategy I'll suggest is uh, using the smart DOM uh, pattern, which is very common in uh, component-oriented architectures, whether it's React, Vue, or Angular. You can you can use this structure. Uh, I'm not going to dive too deep into this. If you have this, keep using it. If you haven't, take a look at the smart DOM, or also known as stateful and a stateless component, which will allow you to save a lot of code and don't repeat yourself. So I guess this is pretty much it to the folder structure um, scalability. And do, I do you have, have any question on the drive? Yeah. Really quick. Um, you know, one of the things that I think people run into, I know I've ran into this, is as soon as you start kind of grouping these things together, and then you find common code that you want to share across them, right? Um, I kind of run into this decision, do I extract that and put it somewhere else and share it between the two? Or would I go to the step of maybe repeating that code, if it's simple code, in their own separate domains per se? So like if I had two folders, a footer and a header, and probably this wouldn't be a good example. It'd have to be something more detailed. But let's say it's that case, and I had some shared code between the two. Um, I could elevate that shared code to like a common directory. But then I've got it in a separate place from the header and a separate place from the footer, and I've got to go search for it to share it, right? At what point is is there any point that which you might consider duplicating that in the header and the footer because then it stays grouped together with it? Uh, just go ahead, Mike. I, I was just saying that that looks exactly like the question that Constantine was asking in the chat earlier about how to organize Angular libs under the same repo, which are depending on each other. This is a thing we run into kind of a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and and Justin, I think you raise a very elegant point because at some uh, like and so, sometimes I always keep hearing you should not repeat your code at all. Like there's no reason to repeat your code, but I I believe there are certain times where it might make sense to repeat the code under particular circumstances. And to, to answer your question, I have something called the abstraction analogy. Uh, but if that's something we're going to look at in the presentation a little bit ahead uh, in, in a few slides. So just keep your question there. I'll answer that in a second. Yeah, way to jump ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a great question. OK, so let's jump into the next question. And that's going to be for Bonnie. Bonnie. How do you modularize your code? How do you keep it in separate modules? What strategy would you uh, use to achieve this? Well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, the question is how do you, not when do you? 
<laughs> well, you know, well, no, he said that was the best answer for any question. He did say that. So I had that answer ready. No matter what the question was, it depends. <laughs> it depends um, on what, Bonnie. So, I mean, for me, I would, because I, you know, I love bad analogies. And so um, for modularizing code, I, I like to use the analogy of spaghetti versus Legos, right? I think mm -hmm. the most important thing when you're trying to be modular is to break it down into small pieces that, um, that are self-sufficient. So if I have one um, component that depends on every other component that depends on every other component that depends on every other component, it gets really hard to take one piece out and use it separately. So for me, the most important thing is to make sure that each piece can stand on its own or at least as much as within that. Um, yeah, and then there's the whole thing about sibling uh, inheritance, which basically the very short version is you can take from your parents, because your parents are very generous, but your siblings are not. And if you have siblings, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so you could take, so you can, you can inherit from files above you, but not folders next to you. Uh, yeah? I love it. I love it. Bonnie, I think that's a great answer. I mean, if this was, if this were a real interview, you would have gotten very far. Um, <laughs> I got the job, you guys. Not just yet, but let oh, me sorry, let me um, let me give you a so so to do a quick recap. Uh, I, I guess you what you mentioned with the Lego analogy, which I love, is that somehow these Lego parts are easy to exchange, move around. They're not tightly coupled, um, so so it's easier to maintain your code, to to extend it, to add new functionality, so on and so forth. So you, totally, that's. That's the kind of a structure we should be aiming at, not keeping everything sewed together like a monolith, like a complex monolith, where you can just, you know, like a Jenga tower. It's like the Jenga tower versus the Lego tower. Like the Jenga tower, you move something around and it might fall anytime. But with a Lego tower, you're like more confident because you know you can separate things and it's not gonna fall apart. And so that's what we're looking at it right now. One, one of them, uh, the things I would suggest if I were interviewing a candidate is that this person mentioned the modules in Angular, right? Modules are a very important part of Angular. To me, those are probably the most important part of Angular. Every, every, every time I'm interviewing someone, modules is, is the kind of topic I want to chat a lot. Like, let's let's discuss it. Let's. What do you think modules are for? How would you use them? What do you think uh, modules um, allow you to do in your code? That kind of thing, I think it's super key. So when you have an application like this one, you will see that these different folders are modules. And modules, as, as I understand it, are simply folders, as Justin mentioned it in the beginning, uh, that group related artifacts together, just like Dominion, uh, like uh, they, they have a similar uh, domain, so they're like in the same domain group together. So everything related to contact is inside the contact folder, which it's a module itself. So that's that's the way I see it, and and I deeply suggest using module modules in your course. If you were talking about a a very small application, modules might not make much sense. But if you're talking about a big application, you certainly need to take a look at this. Now, the interesting part about modules is that they're, 
there are some special modules in Angular. If you're, if you're again, someone that is probably about to design an architecture for your new project, well, consider having a core and a shared module. And let me explain the difference between these two. It's pretty simple. Share module, it's a module where you put artifacts that are shared for every other module out there. Say, for example, you have a button that it's like a super typical button you're using very much, then you put it here. And then you can use it inside the sign up, the header, the footer. That's a very typical um, use case. Now, on the other hand, core is more aimed at singletons. If you're not familiar with singletons, don't despair. It's, it's a pretty simple concept. It's about um, making a, 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 the instance of a service available for the whole application just once, instead of creating new instances every time. Um, you, you can take a look at singleton in Google if you want to know more, but pretty much it will allow you to have services that are only, uh, that are whose instance is shared across the whole project. If we were to take a look at what an artifact inside those modules might look like, then we might take a look at this slide. Here, for example, uh, in the share module, we have the user, oh, I made a mistake here. Anyway, in the, in the core module, I have an authentication service. This authentication service is needed to be a singleton because I want to make sure that everyone every single component or module in my application uses the same instance. If that's not the case, every time someone creates a new instance of the authentication service, they're gonna lose all the information uh, of the user, the, the email, the, the key, the token, whatever. So you need to make sure that remains as a singleton. Where when it comes to shared services or components, well, in this case, it's not as critical because for example, if you're using the user service, you can create a new instance because this, this service is kind of, a, of um, um, a, a service that it's not holding information most of the time or sometimes. It's like just being used to fetch information or put or post information. But authentication on the other side, it is needed to be a singleton. So take a close look at core and share next time you're defining your modules in your application. Any questions so far? Uh, no, not really a question, more of a comment about the idea of how we have uh, different types of modules. If you look at the modules that you have listed in the different folders, uh, taking aside the quote unquote special ones of core and shared, you have two different types. You have a type that's basically a feature for a user that they would navigate to like a separation of different logic. And then you also have like the idea of different things that would be used across different modules, like the header and footer would be used on a contact page as well as on a sign up page. But they, you have two different types of uh, modules there. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And, and, and for the record, the, the modules themselves are not actually different they are just regular modules it's just that it's just that they are instanced differently core for example it's only instance once in the add module you, you put it in the imports array just once and that's how you make a, a, a given module core it's, the name doesn't have anything to do with how it works it's just a convention and same for share share in the other hand is just imported in every module that needs to be uh, used. So that's pretty much the difference. But though at the very end, those are just regular modules. Maybe there's a third module that it's worth mentioning here, and it's the material module. This is a module I recommend to people who is using material design. 
um, it's pretty much creating a module that will import and re-export every uh, material module you're using. So you're using the button, the navbar, the spinner, or whatever thing you're using across your application constantly, then instead of importing it in every module every time, you just import this kind of gateway that it's in charge of you know, gathering all the modules you, you use very often and then just putting it together available for either the whole application or for given modules in particular. And that would be like a specific, um, basically a more specific version of a shared module then, correct? You're basically well, using it to consolidate uh, multiple modules together. Exactly, exactly, totally, totally. It's it's an, an interesting pattern to, to take a look at. And so the shared, putting the material modules in a separate, so basically it's the same, it behaves the same as if you had put them in the shared, but we put them separately just because uh, if you end up using material, there could be a lot of them and it just keeps it separate to keep all your files cleaner so that you know everything in shared is what you wrote. Is yes. Right? Yes, and it, and it makes it easy for you to import material modules next time. Because say, for example, in the header, you're using three modules of material. If you are and you're not using this approach, then you need to go to the header module and import the three of them, or maybe the 10 of them. But if instead you're using the material module and you are importing and re-exporting them, then the next time you need them, you just import material into the header and that's it. So it keeps your code more tight, more, more, um, more clean. It also helps you avoid circular dependencies if you have components in the shared module uh, that are using the shared module, that's no bueno. But if you, <laughs> but you can use the material module uh, without having any any issues with dependencies. Exactly. Very well. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point because it. Uh, I think a lot of us, when we think about using modules in ng module, we're thinking, okay, we're going to add components or services or something to it, right? But in this scenario, it's just simply using it to group things together and, and re-export and, and use that. So it's it's another way to use ng modules that maybe we're normally not thinking about, right? But it's an advantage that we can take it. Sure. <laughs> totally. Um, now, interestingly enough, I have um, uh, another tip I want to share with you when it comes to writing. Uh, you know, also files or, or, or important when you have a lot of modules let's put it this way when you have a lot of modules sometimes it becomes a little hard to import you know uh share components into another module because what you will end up having is something like this it's like you need to go back to the root and 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 try to find a component and shit and import it or the module or whatever this is a very typical thing i see in code bases uh, when they have several modules or when they have a very nested approach to folders. So, so this is something um, that whenever you see it, well, you should know that you can avoid this by simply using a feature of TypeScript called path mapping. Path mapping, it's just about going to the TS file, um, TS config file, and then adding the paths here. You're, you're kind of telling them like, Anytime someone needs the core module, just use add core. So the next time it will look like this, which is much more easier to read and less bug prone because you will be able to find the file easier, et cetera, et cetera. And refactorings will be much easier. So it makes it much more easy to read. I love this feature so much. Mm. And I love all your gifts. 
But I had a problem uh, because I use this particular feature in pretty much every project that I work on. If it's not already there, I implement it like my first day. That's the first thing I do because uh, of all the dot, dot, dash. Like you, you can't go back once you've done it. Um, but I actually have a question for Justin because I'm working on a project now that has NX and I can't do that. Did yeah, you know? NX, Is that NX supports that. NX, yeah, that was one of the core things with NX is the ability to be able to do this. Um, I, I yeah, can't I figure yeah. Then maybe that's I should just keep trying then. I can I can help you out with that. I love you, Justin. You're great. <laughs> okay, and then also uh uh there was a question in the chat from Bjorn. Uh do you happen to know what happens with the tree shaking of the modules when you use material modules like this? And actually Brian Love and I had a whole conversation about this just last week about whether or not it would automatically tree shake and how that works and how it's bundled. Um, so do you, uh, do you know about that off the top of your head one? I, we did some researching, uh, Brian Love and I, and, and he actually did a really cool demo on this, but if you're familiar with this, I'll let you answer because you're the star today. No, if you need a demo, like trying to find the solution to that question, then I'll, I'd rather have your answer. My, my guess is, uh, that, it might be shakeable at the end. I mean, as, as long as, for, let's, let's use an, a, a particular example. I believe that if you're importing this material module only in the header, but the header is uh, not being imported anywhere else, then technically it will be shaked, and none of these two modules will end up in the production build. But I'll, I'll leave it up to you. The uh, the answer that Brian came up with uh, in the demo that he put together after our discussion, because we weren't like we, we were kind of like uh, thinking it would handle things different ways. But I was actually pretty surprised. What happened was if you have something that's pulled into your project uh, in a separate module like this, it would be loaded in your common JS, uh, which is actually like loaded after your main. So so it did load. Um, we found the, the, that in, in places, we were kind of actually surprised about um, a little bit of the behavior, but it was, it was really cool. Um, maybe we can have him on for an episode another time and dive deeper into that. Um, but basically it was loading everything and it was actually working really well, but it was deferring loading the stuff that's lazy loaded. So if you're using a, a separate module and in a, in a feature branch that's lazy loaded, um, anything that's used in more than one place would show up in CommonJS, according to Love. Okay, great point. Thank you. All right, I guess we finally reached the place where Justin uh, wanted to be at, and it's answering this question. This is something called the abstraction analogy, and this is like a simple approach I used to uh, when I need to understand where to put a given artifact. Like, where do I put this? It's like, where does this belong to? or should I duplicate the code? So for someone that often struggles with this, like people out there keeps asking me questions like, oh, where do I put this service? Or where should this module be located at? And, and that's a very typical question, that's completely fine. Um, so this is an analogy I tend to use very often and, and I'm gonna explain it right now, by the way, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, if any of you recognize it, uh, I'll love you. Um, it's called Fantastic Mr. Fox. You should oh, we didn't get to answer. I was about to I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so an artifact belongs to the same folder level where it is required. So let's take a look at this. If a variable is only used within the scope of a function, then it belongs to the function because no one else needs it. So it's, it's pretty simple. It's like, oh, that makes sense, of course. 
But then, if a variable is used by several functions in a class, then it belongs to the class because several functions need access to the, that given variable. So it's like, it's like that's the pattern. But let's keep going up. If the variable is used by several components, the need belongs to a service, a service where each one of these components can access it. Otherwise, if it's just inside a component, it might be harder to access. And then if the service is used by several modules, then it belongs to a share module. And this is where the share module connects, right? Like if we have a, a service or a component that is used by several modules, then we put it on a share module. But then let's go a little bit up. What if the service is used by several applications? Then we can put the whole module or application in its own repository. And then it can be used by several applications. A typical use case of this is like, for example, when you create an application that has a mobile and a web um, platform. So you might want to reuse some of the services you created. So you can put that in a repository that it's consumed by the mobile application, the Ionic or native script, and the web application that can be anything else. So this is like the, the analogy. An artifact belongs to the same fold to the same folder level what it is required. Um, is that was that clear? Is that makes sense to you? Yeah. Okay. Cool. But just so, like any rule, there can be exceptions to the rule. Totally. Um, that you, if something that you're abstracting may make sense within that locality, but it may not make sense to extract it beyond there and potentially replicate that logic in multiple places. Totally, yeah, Mike, I completely agree with you. No, this is not definitely not a rule and it's definitely not mandatory. This should just give you an idea. If you're, for example, an amateur or an angler and you don't know where put things, this should give you an insight of where you can put it. But of course, there are exceptions where you where it might make more sense, just as Justin mentioned in the beginning, that you do replicate some code because, you know, given the circumstances that, that will scale better or, or so. So yes, good point. Is this the same as the sibling kind of thing where you can you can get it, you can you can share with the folder that you're in, but you should not be sharing with the folders next to you? Uh, I'm not sure I know about that approach, but it seems like it's similar, I don't know. Like as soon as you wanna try to take something, if you wanna import something from a sibling folder, that whatever you're trying to import should probably be pulled out into the parent. Okay, okay, yes, that, that's kind of the thing. Yeah, pretty much the same concept. Yeah. It's just a different way. That's not the way I explain it is because siblings don't like to share. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I actually never heard of that, um, how to call it, family issue in, in coding before. But yes, totally. It, it's pretty much the same thing summarized. Um, okay. Uh, well, let's jump. Let's jump. Go to the next question so we can just kind of wrap this up. This is very interesting and this is aimed at Elisa. Elisa. What standard should I follow for naming? <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna like my answer, but I think the standard you follow is less important as the consistency that you use. So whatever it is your team decides on, stick with it because otherwise it's just a nightmare. <laughs> um, oh. that, that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Alisa, that was a beautiful answer. That's the exact answer. I mean, totally, you nail it. I loved if someone just in an interview came out with that answer because yes, consistency is much more important than any given standard that you see out there. And, and I think that's perfect. Um, what I, I would add up to that, to the answer is that I would say like, okay, Angular does have a style guide, right? Like where they suggest, where a lot of opinionated people suggest how you should name things. And you've probably seen this before, right? Like try to be clear, for example, when you're naming a function, a variable, a class or whatever, try to be clear. Uh, one of the suggestions I make is don't add metadata. I'm gonna jump into that in a second and then consider the context. Let's take a look at an example. Let's take a look at this challenge. For all of you, can you come up with a name for a variable that stored the maximum inactivity time allowed for a transaction in an online store. It's like, we need to name this variable, but we don't know what name to give it. What name would you give it? Like, think it for a second. Like, what would be a proper name for this? This is all the context we have. We don't have any more information. This is all we have. What name would you give it? Does anyone want to give it a try? Max Transactive. Oh, okay. good God. How <laughs> on earth is that semantic? I would know. I had no idea what that meant. Although maybe my variables are like way too stupid. I would literally go with something like inactive user. <laughs> go ahead. Transaction idle time. Oh, oh that's good. Okay, fine. You're the winner. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. And does does anyone Mike does have one? Is Mike with us? Yeah, I would put I would use X and put a comment above it. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my husband loves to his his go-to variable for when he can't think of a name is make muffins. So I've actually seen that in production, sadly, when he could not figure out a real name for it. So it's not a joke, Mike. Some people really do I, that. I, I, <laughs> this could I, actually I, be a whole game. Name my, that mine variable. Is usually a, like a mine's usually too. I typically oh. fall back to ASDF when I do that. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I would probably use max inactive time. All right. All right. That's a good one. Let's take a look at what are the wrong answers. So transaction time. This is, I believe this is a wrong answer. And please don't, don't, don't take this as mandatory. This is just my opinion. But transaction time is not clear enough. It doesn't state what are you actually measuring here? Or what, what's this value contain? So transaction time is just very general, very wide, very broad. So you, you need something more specific. Second thing is that transaction inactivity time value. The, the thing about this is value. I, I certainly believe that adding value to the name of the variable at the end is something wrong because variables, generally speaking, have a value, whether it's undefined or null or an actual value, they often have a value. And if you were to put value, well, you might as well put variable at the end, right? So, so one, one of my advice is not to add uh, metadata, unnecessary metadata. It's like, of course it has a value. So let's not just add that. And the third advice I will give you is transaction inactivity time purchase product. This is unnecessary because as you as I mentioned before, this is an online store, which probably is selling products. So if we, 
like this part of the variable name is kind of unnecessary. It's like, okay, but that's redundant. You're probably already in the purchase module or whatever. So you don't need to add that unnecessary uh, like name to the variable. My suggestion is transaction max in activity time. Uh, nonetheless, nonetheless, this is not necessarily the only answer. People, I, I presented these uh, slides before in different scenarios, and people come out with great answers, just like Justin, uh, max idle time, I guess that's what he said. Also, people also mentioned that I should specify if these are milliseconds or seconds, because I won't be able to do that with types. So or at least not easily. But yeah, maybe some people specify that I should have milliseconds to it and so on and so forth. I know, that's when I get confused though, because I'm like, what counts as metadata, right? Like, cause then the seconds or the milliseconds that that's metadata information about it, right? Or does that not count as, I don't know. Yeah, that, that, could, that could be metadata about it as well. So, so you, that would depend on the context, like in, in, if you're inside a function, a class, uh, on the type of the variable, because this, this this variable could have a a time type, like some constant type you define as time. So that could be metadata. Um, the, the general the general advice will be to be as clear as possible. Try not to add unnecessary metadata. If you think this metadata is necessary, then you can add it. And then try not to be very uh, like like very long names either. Just like try to keep it long enough to convey a, a proper and clear meaning to the body. That's pretty much. One of the things that I've always kind of uh, focused on for me personally is look at, you know, how much does it add to the readability of the code, right? If I was to come back at this thing three months from now and look at the logic in this code, could I read the code as is without comments and kind of identify what's going on so I could get in there and figure out bugs and all that sort of stuff. So I kind of, Ultimately, then my, my final decision on, on variable naming comes down to, okay, I feel good with this one. Now, does it give enough clarity if somebody just read this line for line could make sense out of it? And that kind of helps me guide towards like thinking about that metadata and like the, the millisecond sort of thing, right? Totally. I agree with you. There's there's one point where I disagree and it's it's a specific case. So if I am doing an operation, where I have an operator that is, or like a function that is operating on either an array, iterating over an array or an observable. And say I have, I'm iterating over things and things is my array. Um, I won't necessarily use thing as the argument within that um, inner function. I, I'll use something uh, brief like T uh, just because if I need to know what that is, I'm right there iterating over things so that I know that T is a thing. <laughs> And then I just do that for brevity inside of uh, inner loops uh, when iterating over multiple things. Yeah, good point. Good point as well. I think I think Justin' um, comment summarizes both of our perspectives. Like at the very end, what we are trying to achieve is, is is clarity, right? Like being able to look at this and being able to read it, and as long as everyone have a common understanding of what whatever that variable or function is doing, then we're fine. Like if you're, you, and if you're able to look at it in, I don't know, six months and still understand what it's pretty much doing, then you're good, right? So, yeah. Um, I think I think we can um, wrap it up so far. I think we're good. I think we touched base on different topics, different. I think, Justin, do you think it's okay if we can just um, stop it here? Yeah, yeah, we're at the top of the hour. So uh, it's a good stopping point. All right.
Mm. <laughs> awesome. That was, that was killer. So any last things on uh, scalable Angular architectures, uh, or do we want to just jump to picks? So yeah, no, I'll, I'll just wrap up saying that. First of all, hey, thanks for your comments. As, as you can see, and everyone in the audience can see, if Angular Air were a developer team and we were defining our own standards, look at the, the most important thing is that we all have a common understanding of how we're going to do it. Instead of me coming up to the team and say like, this is the way we're going to do things from now on, it's, that's not how you should do it. That's when Elise's comments is very important. It's like, hey, as long as everyone's doing consistently, as long as the team is agreed on something, then you should probably be good to go. That's my, <laughs> my summary to it. I think the worst is whenever like the team is like, hey, we're going to do it this way. We've all made up our minds. And then you get a PR that like they they just didn't want to follow it, and you're just like, uh, so no, yeah, that's why it's. <laughs> yeah, that thank helps. you so much for coming on and doing the show with us, today. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So uh, one final question on that, then, like, how important is it? I mean, you know, it's all green salt relatively, but um, like to think about creating a design doc that defines your practices, right? Like how much time should teams spend on that? You know, obviously in terms of like Angular, we can go to angular.io and, and start with that style guide and kind of get a jump start on those things. But, um, you know, spending time as, as a team, I've always found effective to, to try and put together some type of design doc that, that illustrates how we're gonna do these things, these structures and things like that. So not only your existing team, but as you get an influx of new team members or third party people that come on and work on your stuff, um, you have some rough guideline, you know, cause obviously over time your, your application code will kind of have that in it. Right. And you can say, Oh, go look at the code. Right. But yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's super key. Actually, just every time I am going to kickstart the project in the company, uh, one of the key processes is defining like, best practices to follow or a code patterns a guideline this is generally a component of a tslint file where we have like all these rules that will help us kind of uh, minify what elisa just mentioned about like people just doing it wrong right um sometimes also some other tools such as commentizer um and and you know the builds failing if they're not following the proper standards and pre-tier and maybe saying uh, co-editor configuration. So pretty much everyone is just following it easier, smoother. Uh, so yeah, totally. That's something I will spend enough time, whatever the team needs. Uh, usually, I don't know, you, you can take up to two days, maybe one day or to, to figure out and agree with your team how, what standards are you going to follow. And most importantly, keep iterating it, right? Things will change over time. You will realize you made bad decisions. Like that was not a good approach. You no, know, to name things with the next, maybe. So, uh, kidding. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So it, keep iterating it, and you'll be fine. Juan, that's a uh, great point about the TS Lint, and we could almost do a whole nother episode on that, where once you've established some of your patterns, like how can you help automate that process? Because there's these several ways, like you mentioned, to help our teams be more effective at that without having to reference a design doc and things like that. We should yeah. do a, like a full episode just on that. That'd be I'm great. Right. <laughs> All right. All right, well, let's get to some picks. Um, who has picks? Alyssa, do you have any picks? I do, and I will link to it in the Twitters and in the comments on the, the YouTubes, but it's um, an Angular developer survey. Uh, 
pretty short. There's a longer version you can opt into, but I know that they take our feedback seriously. So it's from the Angular team. So I will link to that. Cool. Thank you. Bonnie, do you have anything today? Not this week. All right. Mike? Uh, sure. Um... <laughs> it's just uh, quite it's, all right if you don't. No problem. Why do you sound scared, Mike? <laughs> uh, I I wasn't sure of the name of it, so I was looking it up. Oh, you um, know what? We should have had Juan ask us these questions because. <laughs> <laughs> now my pick is uh, something called Browser Preview. It's an extension for VS Code that allows you to essentially host a browser window inside of VS Code. So as you're developing something for the web, you don't have to leave leave your editor for any other reasons. Uh, because you can just open up a new tab that has your browser running uh, side by side with your code, all in one place, one stop shopping. Nice. Very cool. All right, Juan, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I have two two picks. Uh, the first one is something uh, I'm going to put in the, in the chat is uh, a URL where you will be able to find all my BS code configuration to make sure you follow the best standards, best practices. It has like every single rule you'll ever need or you're probably gonna need at some point. So you can just, if you don't have anything in your BS code right now in the audience, you can just go there, copy paste, and then iterate from there and customize it. You're gonna like it. And, and then the second one is that I'm very excited to share that this Saturday we're gonna have a meetup in, in our community. And this is being the greatest meetup of all. We have 290 people sign up for this. Uh, and, and in my ma internal machine learning process of figuring out how much actually that is, it's about 150, 160 people. And that's that's just too much. Um, we're super excited about it. Um, maybe, maybe this can serve as feedback for other community organizers. This probably happened because we changed the format of our meetups and we're now doing worships and lightning talks instead of doing a meetup full of three long talks with people and then just, you know, eating in the breaks and networking. We're kind of aiming at that practical um, options, right? Like having a worship for everyone to do there. And it seems to people to like to do practical stuff. So that those are my picks. Wow, that sounds really cool. That'll be interesting to hear how that goes with yeah. that many people, right? And, and providing support during the workshop time, all of that, right? And people bringing their own stuff and having it set up ahead of time. But uh, yeah, but yeah, it's certainly, yeah, that sounds compelling. Awesome. Very awesome. All right, Juan. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and coming on and talking about this stuff. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You've been awesome. You've been super cool. Uh, host, so I really appreciate it. Great, thanks. And uh, all of our panelists, we're hoping to get um, uh, you know offer sheets in the mail from our questions that we answered. Uh, looking for that, that, that future employment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone, have a good one. We will see you next time. Later. Bye.